is Hannah Reeve. I'm the founder of Nature Nurtures, where we help social entrepreneurs, passionate teachers and earliest practitioners to set up their own outdoor nurseries, forest schools and outdoor projects for children. Joining me today is Katie Domeyer, the founder of Tiny Seeds Forest School in South Lake Tahoe in California in the US. Katie has been working in the realm of outdoor education for the last six years. She's worked as a lead farm counsellor, an elementary school garden teacher, and most recently as a teacher at a nature-based early childhood program located in Santa Barbara in California. Tiny Seeds Forest School is the culmination of Katie's passion and professional experience, and she is a most exciting point in her journey in my opinion. It's pre-launch time, isn't it, Katie? And this is where all the hard work is coming together, the vision is there and the path forward is clearer than ever and the excitement is absolutely there so katie thank you so much for joining us today we're really excited to have you join us can you take us way back to the beginning so what what inspired you to start this journey to setting up your own forest school well if we're going to start from the beginning i'll start with a little bit of my childhood i grew up in a small town just north of santa barbara california called los olivos and In my backyard, we had this wild acre. And at that point, my parents were working a lot. And there would be some times where we were just sort of left to our own devices if mom was coming home and dad was leaving or what have you. And my younger sister and I spent most of our childhood in this back acre. And we did things from pull up big clods of grass to find worms to feed our chickens, catching tadpoles to raise baby frogs into adult frogs. We had chickens and goats and pigs. And I feel like I grew up in a time where childhood was spent mostly outdoors still. And so I was able to create close and deep connections with the land that I lived on while I was learning and growing and developing as children do just on their own. And so fast forwarding a bit, I in high school was very drawn to the profession of teaching. There were programs at my high school called regional occupational programs, where we got the opportunity to try on different hats of different occupations that we might like to go into. I chose the teaching program and got a chance to work in local elementary schools um, as a teaching assistant. And the things I would do in the elementary schools would range from helping the teacher grade papers to reading books during story time. And I did really fall in love with teaching then and thought it was something that I was going to go into. Now, if we jump forward into my college years at the university, I went to Cal State Monterey Bay, also a coastal town in California, and I sort of fell away from my inner passion of wanting to be a teacher. I was a global studies major in college for my undergraduate studies, and that's a very broad study. Global studies seems like it could be just about anything, but really what we studied were global systems. So we would look at global ecological systems, global economic systems, larger societal system, politics, religion. And really, you start kind of getting this mental map of how everything's gotten to be the way that it is and how it used to be and how we've gotten here and the effects of the way that we live today. My focus within global studies was food systems. So I learned about the way that we've fed ourselves as a species and the progress and history of that. 
and where we're at with that now and the global effects of all of it. All of these studies sort of brought me to a point where by my senior year, all I wanted to do was move into the forest and have a farm and, you know, live the way that I felt most right, because I could see the negative effects of our, especially in the United States, our large corporate, large scale agricultural systems that are just creating so many different pollutants from water to air to methane gas and the effects that that has on all of us. So I was like, that's it. I'm moving into the woods. I'm starting a farm. I'm running away from society. And then sort of a crazy turn of events happen as tends to happen in life when we get redirected by some sort of, I feel like guiding something. My mom was sick. So I ended up not continuing with my education um, in the Bay Area of California. I was planning on going to a program called the Center for Agroecology and Sustainable Farming at UC Santa Cruz. Um, Oh, wow. That sounds interesting. Yeah, right. I um, was like, they taught you how to pretty much run a good size, nice medium scale organic farm. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah. (laughs) And my mom had been sick since I left for college, uh, but it sort of took a turn for the worse. So I ended up moving back to Santa Barbara. But one thing that I've shown myself over and over again um, throughout my life is no matter what obstacles I'm faced with, if I really want to make something happen, I'll continue in that direction as best I can. So So, how old were you at this point, Katie? How old um, were you? I was, geez, like just out of college, maybe 22. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and I it just sort of life changed and I needed to be closer to my family. So... I did that, went back to Santa Barbara, California, and found an organic farm there and was taking on farm and education apprentices. I signed up to be a farm apprentice and I put all my eggs in this basket of this farm. I had given my month notice. I, you know, moved out, started moving out of my house. And the week before I was set to move in, the farm manager found out that he had had Lyme disease. And so he had to step away from the program. So there I was back in my hometown without a solid place to live and this farm that I really wanted to be on. And I was speaking with the farm manager on the phone call when he called me to let me know he'd be stepping away from the farm. And he said, you know, Without the farming apprentices, there's probably going to be room in their education apprenticeship. If that's something you're interested in, I'll give you the email of the education director and let her know I sent you and we'll see if it how it goes. And her name was Kelly Campbell, and she's been such a inspiration and godsend for me in my journey. But she basically was like, why should you be here? Convince me. <laughs> Excellent. So, how did you convince her that? (laughs) Well, being the very passionate person that I am, and driven to always be in in the areas and settings and communities of things that really make me feel alive. In my time back in Santa Barbara, before I reached out to the farm, I linked up with this woman, Allison Hensley. Uh, She was very much involved with the slow food movement and local food movement in the Santa Barbara area. And her and her friend, Katie Hirschfeld, were putting on a food festival. It was called Soul Food Festival. 
is an acronym, S-O-L, and it stood for Seasonal, Organic, and Local. To be honest, I don't even know how I got connected to these two, but something aligned and we I ended up working with them. And they had asked me, would you be interested in putting on our children's corner? And they said they had reached out to the author, Eric Carl, rest in peace. And he had given us permission to use his book and the imagery for our children's corner. So I created a children's activity for the festival. So I, I basically showed Kelly that project that I did. And she was like, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> and from that point, I stayed on the farm uh, six months living in a yurt uh, as an education apprentice right next to the chickens who woke me up every morning. I learned to love it because they would also provide these warm fresh eggs in the morning <laughs> and we're bright orange yolks and we also oh, nice. because the uh farm apprentices weren't there we also had the opportunity to work in the fields with the farmers there so i did kind of get the best of both worlds and a little bit of what i had initially sought out to learn but then just so much more there after my six months was over we picked up another round of apprentices and i wanted to stay on this farm forever i was like this is my place i'm not leaving i will stay here as long as i possibly um i did end up moving off the farm uh because the yurts are for the apprentices but while i was there i went from you know an apprentice to a program lead we helped roll out a program there called sprouts one of the new apprentices was so cute. She gets there and she goes, we need babies on the farm. <laughs> we must have babies here. This is so important for their development. So we rolled out a mommy and me program called Sprout or daddy and me, a parent and me program where the parents would come with their child. Um, we'd have some great sensory stations set up um, and some like free open-ended art. And then we would gather and sing songs and tell some stories and then go down to the chickens and feed them and then come on back up. And usually our days centered around a theme and the theme was whatever we would be eating that day. And I stayed there as long as I could. And eventually there was, there's always sort of a big changing of the guard at, at this farm in particular. Nonprofits are interesting because of their structure. Oftentimes they're guided by a board that doesn't really have their feet on the ground. And so they're sort of making these decisions for the whole organization and program. And oftentimes I feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect with what's actually happening on the ground and the decisions that are being made in the air conditioned office on the top story of the bank or whatever. <laughs> Eventually, the, all of the management at the farm changed. They shut down the programs. And I was like, okay, so <laughs> I guess I have to leave this place. <laughs> Luckily, I found a nonprofit organization in Santa Barbara called Explore Ecology. Um, their overall goal is to connect children with nature and educate about waste reduction. They work a lot with the Marborg, which is the waste organization and company, the main one in Santa Barbara. But I was part of their school gardens program. And so my first school garden they gave me was a two and a half acre orchard with about 36 fruit trees and a bunch of wild space and about 12 raised beds. And it was shocking to be have to take care of that much land because I had gone from the farm where, you know, the farmer would say, turn the compost today. We'd 
weed this row today, uh, seed these plants in the greenhouse today. And then my training wheels were just shot off and it was yeah. up to me. Yeah. I, I only killed one tree <laughs> out of the 36. <laughs> the irrigation didn't quite make it that far and I didn't realize till it was too late. But it was a great, great learning experience. And it was a seasonal job. So I worked with them during the school years. And I worked with them for about five years. So that five years, it's Explorer Ecology. So that sounds like a special place because you had to basically, like you said, your training wheels would come off. And now it's right. I've got to come up with systems to make sure I know what's happening when and, and what he's doing when and all of these things. So how was that? I mean, obviously, five years, you got that chance to refine all of it. But what was that period of time of figuring that all out like? <laughs> yeah, it was exciting and a little scary. I mean, on top of keeping the garden alive, I was also tasked with being the garden teacher. So I was creating curriculum for students from kindergarten to eighth grade. So my lessons throughout the day would vary drastically. <clears throat> I had to learn how to be very dynamic with my lesson plans. So that was a huge learning process as well. And luckily there, it was a really great support system within Explore Ecology. They had had mentors and people that had been doing it for a while. So there was always a pool of knowledge to pull from which is what I've found as my journey has continued is the knowledge is there. I just have to find it and utilize yes. it. And really, I mean, I sort of crash landed into the idea of emergent curriculum, which is what my, <laughs> my school focuses on. One of my favorite stories that was my aha moment with emergent curriculum or child inspired curriculum was I had this great lesson that I'd come up with about decomposers. And I was so excited and I had been working on it all night and I get there and the kids are all sitting there in a circle at the grass at one of the elementary schools I was teaching at in the garden. I'm looking around and none of them are listening to me. They're all building these little tiny huts with sticks. I don't know if one of them saw one of the other one doing it and they all started gathering these sticks and building huts. And I'm reading this book about worms and I'm super into my invertebrates. <laughs> <laughs> and I just put the book down sort of in one of those frustrated teacher moments of this just isn't working. Uh -huh. And I just assess what they're doing. They're calm. They're invested. They're attentive. And it clicks in my head. We're doing habitats today. <laughs> we are talking about shelters. We're talking about what do we need to be alive? What is a habitat? What things do humans need in their habitats? What do lizards need in their habitats? What do worms need in their habitats? Still vying for my <laughs> lesson plan. <laughs> but then we just went into building habitats and I let them build tiny little habitats all over the garden. Well, if you're a lizard, what would you put in your habitat? Would you put a big pool of water? No, I'd put a big rock right in the sun. And so then we get to, you know, start having those conversations. And it's, I mean, the outdoors is full of science, full of wonder, full of math, full of, you know, literature, full of art, full of every single subject you could possibly want to teach, or in some cases in elementary school, need to teach as a teacher. And so from that point on, it made my life so much easier. I would have an idea of what we would do throughout the day. Maybe, you know, the handful of garden tasks we have to 
weed, the lettuce. We have to pull out the tomatoes and get ready for the next crop. But then it was really child inspired and and it reduced my lesson plan timing from, geez, 10 plus hours a week to probably about three. I was, by the end of my time with Explore Ecology, I was working with four schools teaching kindergarten through eighth grade, seeing over 500 students a week. And so I, being able to lean into routine and like the tasks that actually needed to be done in the garden and then kind of using the child's interests as a vehicle for learning and inspiration, it it totally changed the game for me. And I ended up stepping away from Explore Ecology because one thing we learn as educators, unfortunately, is I was only making about $16 an hour and I was living in a very expensive place in California. They call it the California Riviera. It's gorgeous, but working, teaching, you know, 500 students a week and then having to serve tables at night just to make ends meet was hard. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. felt like I, I had worked with a farm in outdoor education And I had had a taste of working with different ages there and teaching in elementary schools. I had the opportunity to work with the TK, which is preschool and out for the elementary school students all the way to eighth grade. And I really started to see and feel that I was drawn to early childhood. I was drawn to that sense of wonder that young children have that I think as they're brain begins to develop at about like the age of eight or nine, just as far as developmental psychology goes, they logic starts to kick in a lot more by by that age and reason. And you'll have kids saying fairies aren't real and (laughs) things like that. And I would always say, please don't yuck anybody's yum. If she wants to believe that fairies are real, fairies are real for her. For you, fairies don't have to be real, but we're not going to tell anybody that they can or can't believe in something. And I don't know, just that that sort of magic age. I think that I mean, it's crazy physically in their brains, developmentally, how much is firing off in those first initial years and how drastically they are developing from not being able to talk and being a little wiggle bean when they're, you know, a pre-toddler to being a five-year-old is just insane. So then COVID happened. which is crazy that that also set me on this path because I was a garden educator and serving tables. And then the schools shut down and the restaurants shut down. Mm-hmm. And there I was <laughs> on unemployment, like so many, so many of us sitting around with not as many distractions as I had had in my busy life. And with the time and space to really think about, okay, what do I want here? What what do I want moving forward? Am I going to return to teaching in elementary schools and serving tables four nights a week? And I really had to look inward as I feel like a lot of us did in that time and space of what's going on and what do we want? And I started browsing the internet and... Always dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know if in England you have this, but over here we have something called Craigslist. Yeah, we have something similar here. Yeah. Yeah. So Craigslist has helped me out a lot in life in a lot of different (laughs) ways. Yeah, we've got something called Gumtree, I would say is Uh, similar. Okay. So I go on there and I'm just looking at different education positions and I see assistant 
forest school teacher. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I've wanted to do. I've long wanted to open a program and I've known that since I was on the farm, but I didn't feel like I had the experience or all the tools yet to do that. Um, And actually a, a year prior to COVID, almost exactly a year before, my mom ended up passing away in 2019. And that was also a huge point of introspection and reflection for me. I was in a program called Women's Economic Ventures at the time that my mom had passed. And it was it's a local nonprofit in Santa Barbara that helps women entrepreneurs that are wanting to open their own businesses. And it's a course that you take and it's great. They basically help you figure all of the things that you need and run the numbers to know if you're going to be running a viable business. I did that program and I actually ended up not finishing it because the end of the course was synonymous with the time my mom passed. And I, when that happened, I actually froze. I Mm. felt completely numb. All I could do was cry sitting at the ocean or stare at a wall. (laughs) Like I just was so gutturally draining and numbing to experience that. So I, and also the bummer of that program was that I had done all the work. I just didn't go to the last two weeks because of the situation. And I bet I could go back and, you know, show them the work and get the certificate and all of that. But really, I got the education that I needed through that program because Tiny Seeds was just this idea in my head. I wanted it to be more focused on gardening because that's what I had been familiar with. You started doing that course with the knowledge that you had this tiny seed of an idea of tiny seeds. Yes. And so you could you could use that course to further shape your idea and vision. Yes. So yes. you started here with the vision for a sort of gardening focused program working mm-hmm. with children. Yeah. And really tiny seeds, I felt like it was like sitting on the top of this mountain, my perfect program and I was at the bottom. And what I felt like women's economic ventures uh did for me was help me find the trailhead. Was like, okay, this is the path you need to take. This is the type of organization that you may or may not want to open. And by that, I mean like the business organization. Do you want it to be an LLC? Do you want to be a sole proprietor? These were all things I had no knowledge about. I had no background in business whatsoever. We met with accountants. They taught us how to run the numbers in these Excel sheets that they had um, so that was really huge, actually, in my gathering of knowledge to know what steps I needed to take next. That program yes, le- that led was, me. Yeah, that's it's significant. Huge. It's really significant. So you've got a wonderful pool of knowledge and experience already at this point, because you um, and more than most people, I would say, because not a lot of people have done the business side. Everybody comes into this as an educator, obviously. And that's the easy bit, to be honest, because that's your bread and butter previous to this. (laughs) The tough bit now is, okay. well, how do I make this a viable option for me to live from? It's a great thing to launch, but, you know, we're going into this long term. So what does this look like? And this sounds like a wonderful, wonderful program for you to have done this course at the right time as well even though obviously it overlapped with a big huge life experience with your mum dying and, and how painful that must have been and and carrying that with you as much as you can because it's all it's all intertwined as well isn't it because I guess your mum had a big influence on who you are and doing this course I just know that she and my dad my dad passed away when I was 16 so there is a big part of me that 
um, is like yearning to hear them tell me that they're proud of me, but I feel it and I know it. Um, the background of my family, as far as education goes, most of the, there's only a very small number of people on either side of my family that have ever attended college. So I really, you know, the, the questions being asked at my family gatherings were like, oh, are you going to graduate from high school? The, the very uh, low bar. And just because of a lot of things, the economic and social position that my family was in over the generations before me. But one thing that my dad would always say is we just want to make it a little bit better for the next generation. Mm. And that is something that stuck with me because his family and his background was very troubled. They had a very traumatic childhood and all him and his siblings wanted was to try and make it a little bit better for us. And that was something that he would always say, just make it better for the next generation. That is such a huge tidbit of knowledge and advice that's just embedded in my whole psyche is how can we make it better for the next generation? And really tiny seeds is it when I was working on the farm in Santa Barbara, I remember telling my mom, mom, I think I know what I'm here for now. She, she couldn't talk, but she looked at me and I said, I think I'm here to hold space for kids to connect with nature. I feel like it's the most hopeful thing that I could do because, and that is the idea too, behind tiny seeds is I feel like I'm planting all of these little seeds of knowledge by holding space for children because we care because we have connections, because we've fostered a connection. So to be able to hold space for children to connect deeply with our natural world, I feel in some way ensures that they will care for it. Reciprocity is something that we talk about a lot in school and have talked about. I mean, we don't use that big of a word, but talking about what the land gives to us and how we can give back to it and how we can care for it. And I just posted this quote on my school's Instagram at Tiny Seeds Forest School that was, I think it was a David Sobel quote, and it was talking about allowing our children to connect and love the land that they're on before we ask them to save it. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. not really that I feel like, especially at this age, we're not asking the children to save the earth at all, really. But what we are doing mostly is connecting and letting them feel and make their own connections with the earth. And then some of the, you know, books that we have, like I have a great book called Water Protectors that talks about um, a lot of the oil pipelines that have been happening in um, the United States. It talks about it it's, it through the lens of a Native American little girl talking about this big black snake running through the land and how it can poison the water and stuff like that. And so sort of softly beginning to introduce these larger concepts to the children but they get it like more than adults, even when the whole first huge protest for the Dapple pipeline here in um, the United States was happening, when there was a big push for people in the United States to stand with the Native American water protectors. I talked about it in, in my garden classes in the elementary schools. Really, I think that holding space for children to connect with nature and to begin to form long term connections is absolutely the most hopeful thing that I could ever do with my life. I think it's incredible and to have that wonderful realisation of this is who I am and this is what I want to do is so powerful and I think especially in the world that you have existed in as well. So I love your experience as well because it's so rich and I can see your journey ahead and where you're going in terms of what you have in your past so very clearly you're passionate you're a hustler for sure hard worker 
and you have all this wonderful experience, hands-on experience, which you cannot get at college or anywhere else. You've got the hands-on ecology experience and knowledge that comes from working on wonderful farms that are self-sustaining and organic and understand the land and how we need to look after the land and what that looks like. Because I think that can often get lost quite a lot in some of the forest schools that we see in the world today. And I can hear how your philosophy, so how you experience life and how you see life and your passion for the planet and what it needs to be, I can absolutely see that philosophy in your school where you're going forward. So you've had this idea for so, so long. It started as something else and quite naturally as all dreams, they evolve (laughs) and they twist and they turn and they're up and they're down. And what on earth got you to South Lake Tahoe? So you've gone from Santa Barbara, all of this stuff's happened, and now you're here. That's a, a pretty involved answer. But at at the very baseline, I was ready for a change. I, I grew up near Santa Barbara, and I, over this last year, so I got the assistant teacher job for during COVID, and we were actually... It, it was for a program called A Thousand Mornings Forest School. Um, and Beth Loster is the owner and director. And I had the opportunity with her to open a school from the ground up this last year. In my cover letter to her, I wrote that I'm planning on opening my own program, um, but I would love to stick around with you, you know, for this year, maybe the following while I'm finishing some courses in early childhood education, I'd, I'd since gone back to school, which is one of the next steps I learned to do through Women's Economic Ventures. I was like, oh, yeah, I should probably have a certificate in early childhood education as well on top of my bachelor's. So I was doing that. We had great success. We were able to stay open. We were basically the size of one pod. We we're like eight students and two teachers throughout coronavirus. And nearing the middle of our school year, I knew it was time for me to make moves. Mm -hmm. By January 1st, 2021, was my goal. I was going to purchase my LLC. I was going to purchase my website. I was going to start creating everything. And I think really I chose South Lake Tahoe because I have some friends here, but also I just love this land. I had done some market research and there's no programs like this open here at all. There's zero outdoor early childhood education schools. And I thought in Tahoe... (laughs) It is the most pristine outdoor place ever. And I understand that there's snow and people always ask about that. But I mean, I'm luckily like with working in the gardens and not knowing everything yet. I know the history of forest schools and I know they hail from northern Europe and it's relatively snowy there (laughs) that I'm not reinventing the wheel. This is something that I've learned about that I love that is has been happening has been proven to be successful the very first time I came to Tahoe I was only 16 it was one of the last big trips I went on with my mom before she had got my dad passed when I was 16 and my mom fell ill immediately after and she was it was harder for her to travel but this woman at my church had a timeshare here and invited my mom myself and my younger sister to come to Tahoe and I remember the first time I peeked up over the mountains and saw into the Tahoe Basin, the valley here, I was completely in awe. I had my breath taken away. I had never seen any piece of land that looked like this. I hadn't done that much traveling in uh, my teenage years or childhood, but I was taken back for sure. And we stayed for about a week. And when we left, (laughs) 
I cried. I'm a very emotional person. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I'm probably on a big shiny sign on my head too. I'm very emotive. (laughs) But my mom was like, you are being so dramatic. And I was like, I do not want to leave this place. It made my body feel like I, it was like tingling, like buzzing. Like there's just something about being here that made me feel alive in a different way than I had ever experienced. And I had wanted, I had told my mom, I was like, I'm going to live here. And that was so long ago. And then come, you know, to the age of 31 and I pulled the trigger in Santa Barbara. There's already a handful of outdoor preschools and outdoor programs for various ages. Santa Barbara is really ideal place to do it as far as ease and weather patterns. Mm -hmm. It's about 75 degrees Fahrenheit there year round. It's Mm -hmm. very mild. We get some fog sometimes. It rains occasionally but rarely Um, it's really like an easy place you know to be outside so there's a lot of programs there and to be honest I think that most outdoor educators have the same mentality that you know you're not really stepping on anybody's toes I think that there should be an outdoor program in every neighborhood I would like every Mm -hmm. child to be able to have access to be outside let's cast the seeds and get as many children outside and connected with nature as we can. But it still felt a little crowded in that area. Felt for a while like I needed a big change. And a a friend that lives here was like, why don't you just do it now? Hmm. I guess I never thought about that. So it was through the encouragement of a couple friends that knew me and knew my vision and knew the work I had put in already. And I, I did it. I just, I purchased the LLC. I started making my website. I came up to Tahoe a few times over the winter and scouted out some outdoor locations. And then I started writing to the various organizations and people and groups that owned the different pieces of land that I was looking at using. A lot of the Forest Service and the city of South Lake Tahoe, their offices were closed down during COVID. So it was really hard to, I actually still haven't heard back from them. Um, either of them. But I found this park right outside of Tahoe in Myers uh, called Tahoe Paradise Park, which was like the perfect name as well. And my friend, he works with the state and the water protection agency. And so he was actually doing a bit of consulting for this park. And so he kind of turned me onto the park. But this park, which is very unique, is a privately owned piece of property that was purchased and donated to the city of Myers and is now run by a board of pretty much retirees that live in Myers. Um, So it's not affiliated with the city. It's private. It's a private board. It's not affiliated with state parks. It's not affiliated with national forest. It's its own private piece of property. Um, Katie, you found a gem there because you're not tied to all this bureaucracy and the red tape. (laughs) With public yes. parks. <gasps> okay. <laughs> and then what happens? Exciting. Uh, yes. So I presented to their board and they've agreed to host the school for the first session. I'm looking at a park over near to my house called Bijou Park for my second session because the second session will be my winter session. It, a lot of times forest schools will change locations. As yeah. I'm not sure. So they'll stay in one place for a few weeks. That's for a few reasons to minimize impact in any given area. But there's also a lot of great learning that comes from leaving a site and then coming back and seeing it in a different Mm -hmm. season. Mm -hmm. Um, However, how it's worked out for me is I'll be at the same site for the first 
session. I'll be doing three sessions following the trimester schedule of Lake Tahoe Unified School District's elementary school year calendar. And we in Tahoe, we get a really heavy snowfall sometimes. It definitely depends on the winter, but there are times when it's going to be hard to be outside, just if like there's a huge, say, 10-foot snowpack. And so we will call a snow day when Lake Tahoe Unified School District calls a snow day. Um, But I also in contact with a few different spaces. One of them is at the junior college here for an absolutely like backup emergency. Like it's not a snow day, but it's a little too much to be outside. Mm-hmm. for a location to be indoors for say a week or however long we need to like all four schools I would like to be out you know every day of the every day of the school year but as much as we can while it's safe um mm-hmm. and so I hail from coastal california i am a beach sunny beach girl at heart and so this will be my first winter so here i am turning back again to the knowledge base that is before me. I've been reaching out to other forest schools that are also in snowy areas and getting advice and tidbits of information about, you know, what is safe. I was emailed this great chart of of safe snow temperatures to play in with children and when it's like a chart with like wind chill and and actual degrees and temperature and all this different data that shows when it is safe to be outdoors with kids and when it is not. So that is a huge learning curve for me. But like with everything else in life that I've dealt with and taken on, it's exciting. It's something new to learn. And thankfully, I'm not reinventing the wheel. There are people out there doing this in cold environments. I've been able to already learn a lot about safety with children outside. And I'm actually going to be attending a wilderness outdoor survival training. Great. Sounds brilliant. Sounds like you're doing a lot of preparation, which is fantastic. And I think, yes, winter's a massive learning curve for everyone. And it is one you've got to experience (laughs) and really find all those mess. Well, you're going to make mistakes. You will. Yes. And that's okay. That's how you learn. And that's how it gets better and better. So at this point, you're gathering up your pioneers, all of these first students who are willing to take a chance with you which is absolutely wonderful. And you'll never, ever forget them either for that. And they will show you exactly what needs to be done and what that Mm -hmm. looks like. Now, out of interest, have you had restrictions, like in terms of are you going to be licensed or anything like that? In the United States, there's only one state that has a licensing program for nature-based early childhood education, and that is the state of Washington. Um, I'm a part of the California Forest School Association as well as uh, with my school. And I know that we're vying for that because when you become a licensed program, a whole world of support sort of opens up and the door of access opens up a little bit. You can apply for more grants. There's actually a lot of benefits of being a licensed program. Mm. So with Tiny Seeds uh, being in California, I'm following all of those licensing guidelines that they have in Washington in hopes that when and if it does happen here, we're ready to go. But as of now, there's no licensing program in the state of California. When I was helping open a thousand mornings forest school, we got reported for licensing before school started. And of course, we appealed it. Uh, Beth Loster reached out to the California Forest School Association. One of the teachers that has been a spearheading guiding light for the California Forest School Association also lives in Santa Barbara. Her name is Leah Grippo. She runs Wild Roots. 
for a school. And so Beth reached out into that big, you know, knowledge base and knowledge pool. And they guided her to a lawyer that had had already taken on cases like this. And we actually lost the first appeal. We did not get approved, but we took it to a second appeal because this is something that the lawyer had done before, had taken it to a second appeal. So we took it to the courts in Sacramento and the state of California, and we won the case. The reason is because in licensing code with early childhood in the state of California specifically, I can't speak for other states. All of the a lot of the licensing is wrapped up in building code. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like making sure you have these exits and this amount of toilets at this height and all this amount of space and this amount of outdoor area. So it's pretty hard to make sure that a tree or a boulder or a stream is up to code. Yeah. <laughs> and so just the way that it's set up here, it makes it so we are non-licensable entities. So we won our case because we fall outside of the jurisdiction of the California licensing for early childhood programs, which was great. And I mean, that was very stressful starting off or even before we started our school year, having to lawyer up and spend, you know. Yeah, that's uh, dreadful. Having spoken with quite a few people from the States, I do hear the frustration around licensing and, and the differences across states, but particularly the pioneering state, Washington, who is now found a way for the outdoor settings or forest schools to be licensed. I'm hopeful that other states will follow some of those yes. more liberal states. We shall see. Yes. Interesting. Hopefully it just goes straight down from Washington, Oregon, California, and then spreads yeah. spreads out east. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully we shall see. We'll, we'll be clear. You're not open yet. Correct. You're absolutely at this pre-launch stage. So what have you? what are you spending this summer doing? What does pre-launch look like for you? I've been advertising on different social media. That's my primary source of advertising um, on Instagram and Facebook. You can do targeted all of the creepy data that we're worried that they're gathering yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, what, is exactly what you basically pay for. So I've been able to target market South Lake Tahoe and then put in people that, you know, are interested in parenting, childhood, early childhood education, outdoors, camping, and do targeted ads. And um, also I had a, I have a friend who lives in town who's a part of a, a mom group. And so she introduced my school into this mom group. And in South Lake Tahoe, not only are, is there n absolutely no presence of forest schools, there's actually a huge lacking for early childhood care in general. Ah, okay. um, right before I moved here, there was an article in the local newspaper. Basically, it was a call to action asking people to open home daycares because there's such a need for it here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so through doing a little bit of market research and learning about all of these different things, I felt like this was a viable place that and it was a place that needs it. And since I've been here and talk to people coming into the bar that I'm bartending at for the summer. See, so this, many... is, this, is, this is someone who it... hustles, it's someone who works really hard, <laughs> doing what they need to do to get to the next bit. Excellent. Yes, yes. I've had parents thank me profusely. They're saying, thank you so much for bringing this to our community. You're bringing something that we need here so deeply. And so since I've been here, I have also, I tabled at some events in town Mm -hmm. uh, some local events at the park that I will be having my school. Of course, I've made some flyers and business cards and put them up. And I've been getting great response. Uh, 
two of my days are already completely full for enrollment. And I'm in the process of filling the rest of the days of the week of Monday through Friday. And so this summer has consisted of putting, getting my name out there um, this upcoming week. What I will be doing is finishing off this newsletter I've been working on, filling out a press release, which I haven't done yet, to just announce that there's this new school in town and all of the local newspapers. And then in the newsletter and emailing parents about we're going to do an all school open invitation play date. But mostly what my summer has consisted of as far as my interaction with parents and families go is I've been receiving applications. I have a three step enrollment process for the school. So the first step is the parent fills out the application. Then after I receive it, I process it and put it into a spreadsheet that I have. I reach out to the parents and then we set up a play date. So I have an in-person play date with the families before the final step of the enrollment process, which is uh, signing the parent handbook and behavior plan agreement. And so in our play date, we'll meet, I'll eat meet with one to three families. And I basically set up what school would look like when you arrive. So I'll put out a tarp, I'll put out a few stations, mostly open-ended like sensory exploration. I've been gotten really good at making Play-Doh from scratch because of all of the different places I've taught and the different areas of learning that I've studied. I'm sort of weaving in different aspects of different educational approaches my school in particular weaves in a lot of the Reggio Emilia educational approach. Mm-hmm. I really value long-term art projects, um, going deep with the kids and allowing their creative side to really flourish. An idea that a lot of forest schools have is nature has everything that we need, so you really don't need to bring anything. But I do find a lot of value in uh, allowing the kids to be creative with things you might find in a traditional or more regular preschool, like painting or, you know, sticking things into Play-Doh and pulling them out. You're working on these fine motor skills, you know, building all these small muscles. We read books. Mm -hmm. I also have alphabet stones that I'll put out and they can sort of start to explore the different, different aspects, aspects of learning that you might find in more traditional preschools. In no way are we like, okay, this week we're learning L and this week we're learning B and C. But if you know, I have the story, the alphabet stones out and a kid goes, this is my letter. Then we can start to have a conversation there that we go back to the emergent curriculum. There's actually a surprisingly large population of people from Germany that live in South Lake Tahoe. And so people have been like, oh, we know forest schools. We know outdoor kindergartens. You know, they're very used to this idea of outdoor education. So I've actually have a handful of parents that are have moved here from Germany in my program. Uh, and families. It's great because it was very nerve wracking. My first in-person meetup with parents and kids, I felt very much like I was just talking five, you know, I was almost trying to like convince them that I'm not just yeah. some crazy lady in the woods. Yeah. Just like, yeah. Being like yeah. give me your children. But, um, <laughs> it, it gets easier doesn't it it gets the more and yeah. more and more you do the easier it gets yeah and you know I really truly believe in this and I have some great literature that I've picked up uh, for myself and for my uh, staff library hmm. so my program will be eight children with two teachers I do actually anticipate the program filling up and and they're needing to be like a bump up in size. So the mm-hmm. next bump up in size I'm going to do is I'll have three teachers and 10 students. They're 
bringing down the ratio a little bit. Um, and then the next expansion will be two groups of eight on the same property with two teachers. So there'll be like, you know, the dragonflies and the woodpeckers and we'll be on the same property. Do you have restrictions in terms of how, because you said Monday to Friday, are you going to be doing five days a week throughout the year? Obviously like term time mainly. I offer five days a week. However, the parents can sign up anywhere from two to five days a week. Okay. So most of the, only, only a couple of the kids are coming five days a week. Most are coming two or three. And I don't offer one day because we so heavily rely on routine. Yeah. Um, that it's important for the kids to understand what we're doing and get a, a better sense of that. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't quite work, does it? I yeah, we have a minimum we have a minimum a nurture outdoor kindergarten of two full sessions. But that's interesting. So your state doesn't say that because you're not licensed you can only operate however many days out of the month or something like that. Right. Yeah. And we're we are just following the elementary school year calendar. So we're operating as many days as the elementary school will Okay. Operate. Yeah, but there are no restrictions as far as that's great. Yeah, going back to Tahoe Paradise Park, so the place where this is going to be, what are you able to do there? Are you able to put up any sort of temporary structures or anything like that? We're a very like leave no trace program, so okay, we'll yeah. bring everything in with us and pack out. We'll even meet at various locations throughout the session. The way that my school day is gonna, is organized is the parents will come and drop off in one location where I'll have some calm activities or quiet activities set up for the children to ease into. I'll be there for 15 minutes. And then if a parent ends up coming later than that, they're going to have to hike and find us in the forest. And then we'll set up for some free play and exploration in those areas. We'll gather and sing songs, tell stories, eat snacks. And then in the afternoon, either have a project that we're working on that they can come in and out of as they please or go on another big adventure. And then we basically hike back out and that is our day or we'll have closing circle and then hike back out and meet up with families. But on specifically there, there is the Truckee River, the upper Truckee River that flows through there. Mm -hmm. And the park is is around a lake called Lake Barren. So we have this like this rich environment. It also used to be a quarry. So there's these like great boulders everywhere that the kids can climb up. I mean, I walked through there the other day and there's just frogs and beavers and bunnies and it is just full of teeming with life. So it's yeah, a wonderful, wonderful be... time of year, isn't it? It's a wonderful time of year yes. to be there and you'll see it evolve and you'll see what's there and get to really know that land. I think don't forget as well to use all of that wonderful experience that you have from the farm and from your other yes. experiences because I always say because we we run a course basically that helps people to set up I guess a little bit like the course that you've done the women's economic ventures program we have one that's specifically for helping people to set up outdoor nurseries kindergartens or whatever and I always take people right back first to knowing their values and then second to really really understanding the land on which mm. they are going to be because you need to know the local weather patterns you need to know okay where's the point that gets all the wind coming in where's right. is there fencing around here do we need fencing obviously thinking about the age of the children and then water where do we get flooding local flooding 
where's the snow packing going to be all of those mm-hmm. things and you can do so much research around those elements um when whenever we start with a new site we get for us in the uk we get so much rain so our winters are wet mm. and our summers tend to be pretty dry and then every now and then we might get some snow so we really prepare by having the hydrographic map so that we understand the way that water flows through a site because that dictates because right. if you're setting up a, up a tarp here but actually half an hour or an hour later when a rainstorm comes in <laughs> your tarp is going to be carried <laughs> carried away that you know right. if you can arm yourself with that information really approach it as an ecologist as well and really thinking about the land in terms of what's going to minimize that damage like you're talking about that will inform so much how you can use that space as well because you're thinking so carefully about those elements and i can hear that comes absolutely from your experience and i think add that in because all of those are expertise that you can use and share with right. others it, remind, it reminds me of i also over the years have taken a permaculture design course oh yes <clears throat> yes see use yeah, this so- use this 100 yeah. percent use that yeah so in the permaculture design course that i took it reminds me a lot of what you're talking about yeah yes. and you need, like where the wildlife is so you're gonna have moose deer okay and you've got that river okay so is that attracting wildlife or do we have an issue where there's going to be a lot of animal bears. species yeah oh my god yeah. yeah you've got the bears you've got the bears to be thinking about as well so yeah <laughs> oh my goodness me so yeah you've got all these elements to think about and yes it's really good now the wonderful thing about being the first in a community to establish something like this is that you really are the pioneer and you are setting the benchmark for everyone who comes after you now 100 yes. that comes down i think that the biggest thing is fees so how have you gone about researching how to set your fees? If you, first, you don't have a lot of local childcare in the area. And second, there's no one else doing something like this in this area either. My first, my first goal with all of it is access, um, especially coming from a lower income family. As I did some research. I looked at different uh, preschools I worked with. Over the last year, while I was working with the forest school, I also worked with a more traditional Reggio Emilia style program in the afternoons called Cathedral Oaks Preschool. And so by putting myself into the realm of just preschool world, I was able to sort of assess all of the different prices. And I went online and I looked at the prices people were charging for different programs in the state of California. And I really tried to make mine as affordable as possible. And I understand like childcare is expensive and it's a huge expense for people. And Moving forward, I do, I'm going to incorporate more of a sliding scale and introduce more scholarships. Mm -hmm. Right now in this first year, those are things that unfortunately, just with all the other moving parts, I haven't quite gotten around to incorporating yet into the program. Um, Right now, the program breaks down to about less than about 13, a little less than $14 an hour for childcare, um, which, you know, when added up, starts to look like a big number but I feel like parents that are there's some parents only signing up for two days and that to me seeing that on paper feels like a number that I could even pay you know with my with my salaries in the past or not salaries but hourly wages in the past access is something that is huge for me my long-term goal with my program was to create this for-profit program that's an LLC 
mm-hmm. um, which I'm the sole member of, and then use those profits to fund an after-school care program that is a nonprofit that would offer free after-school care for low-income families in this area. And I've never opened a nonprofit. <laughs> um, so that is a whole nother, a whole nother beast to, you know, manage. I, I think maybe in session two, I'll start to offer scholarships or something like that. But just with all of these moving parts, like that is really kind of something that I haven't fully figured out how to weave into this initial process. I've broken down the numbers enough to see that like I need two and a half kids. <laughs> never, never a half kid, but two and a half kids worth of tuition or enrollment fees per day to pay my staff. I also want it to be a livable wage for my staff. So these are all things like I want every stakeholder to benefit. I want, I, as a teacher that's felt not supported by my wages and felt like I've been, you know, relatively overworked and underpaid for a long time, I'm starting out, which isn't a great, you know, it's nothing to necessarily write home about, but I'm starting out all my employees at $20 an hour which is a lot more than minimum wage. Uh, But it's because I value them and I want them to know that. And I want everyone to feel valued and taken care of from the families that I work with in my school, to my employees, to the families that I'm not working with necessarily that are in the greater community. So I'm trying to figure out like the best way to move forward with that. Yeah, absolutely. I can hear fees are really, really hard. And and you are in a difficult situation because as I said, you're the first and there isn't there's no one else except the benchmark locally so you're having to look statewide or to surrounding towns as well which also is difficult and I can hear the conflict for you is that you want to support the low-income families but on the other side of that you need to earn a living personally okay yes if you don't earn a living that is comfortable for you this program will not exist any longer so always, yeah. always start with that. <laughs> I didn't even mention myself. I was talking no, about everyone you else. <laughs> you went with your te- you're going to pay your teachers a wonderful wage, which is great. But <laughs> you do need to pay yourself so that you can yes. live. There's no shame in that whatsoever. That it that is important. That is that yeah. is also one of the reasons you're doing this. That is why yeah. everyone does this. And yeah. the thing with scholarships and sliding scale fees, they are fantastic, but they come later on. You cannot yes. open with that. It's an impossibility. Exactly. So it's good to have that in your mind, but don't feel guilty or bad about that not happening in the first first year, two years, three years. That's okay because you must yeah. get it established. And the most important thing is you're paying yourself and you're paying your staff. Otherwise, nothing yeah. else exists. So right. do not feel bad about asking parents for fees. They know they have to pay fees. That's why they're coming to you. They're looking for you yeah. to provide a service. Do not feel guilty about that. You set your worth. This is an exciting new program. Maybe in your first year, you're testing out some fees. But in that second year, your fees need to go up. There's no question. They will go up. Yeah. So have that on your mind and have a percentage. Be clear as well with people. You're going to review your fees annually. They will increase by a minimum of 4%, between 4 and 8% each year. That's that's usually what I go with people. I think okay. as women, we feel uncomfortable talking about money. I don't know why. We're also uncomfortable with um, increasing fees. Not enough of us 
set our worth. And that is so important. This is a hard job. It's an undervalued job. And it's a job that is not paid well. And this is why people like you have to work two jobs. Don't get into that. You shouldn't be working two jobs. You're setting this. So set it right (laughs) at this point. Yes. (laughs) You're worth it. You should absolutely do it. And all of those wonderful things will come after the sliding scales and the scholarships. You will be able to do that, but you first must get your cash flow and get that really strong. Set that vision, write it down. It's going to happen, but it's not going to happen right now. And that's absolutely okay. Lake Tahoe is an affluent area. There's no question about it. Yes, there's always going to be pockets of deprivation there, but this is a good high income, medium to high income area. I know that. And you will know that from your market research as well. So don't go too low in the first year. Yeah. That's, I just, I just yeah. don't go too low. For uh, sure, yeah. increase. Those are my golden nuggets for you. <laughs> yeah, no, I really appreciate that. It is hard because, I mean, you heard it in my voice. I, yeah. and as I described, I've always cared so deeply for those that are struggling and I mean it's also been almost to a fault in my life where I you know I just you just heard me do it I'll overextend myself for every other person and then I'm like oh yeah me (laughs) but it just shows yeah I just want I want to take care of everyone and I think that's another thing as women too is we will overextend ourselves and whether that's emotionally or physically or even mentally to help for whatever reason, and then we find that we're left with a, an emptier cup than we should have. Mm. So mm. It's, it's always a good reminder. And you can help people. There are lots of ways of helping people, but it does yeah. not mean it does not mean that you cannot have a way in which you can make an income where you need to be comfortable. You're such a wonderful, helpful, warm person that all of those other things will happen. There's so many people that you know and that you're connecting with. All of these things are already happening. So naturally those people will come to you and they will say oh I see you're doing this can I help you with this and it, you're in a- I have an inter- yeah I have an interview today with a gentleman that I met that's worked in outdoor education and he's so excited about my school yeah so I'll, after this I'll be meeting with him but I've been meeting more and more people that you know see my passion and come alive about it too yeah and yeah it's definitely just a process of meeting more people and putting myself in my school out there so you're so these are all the moving parts you're talking about. So you've got to do all your market research. You're setting your business plan. Um, you're looking at the land that you're going to be on. You're talking with parents who are enrolling in this. I mean, this is huge. You've moved into an area where you are new. You you are an unknown in that space. So again, that's hard to establish a business. Yeah. And you're also recruiting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go, Katie. Like every, people talk this down. Like, yeah, I'm really busy. I've got a lot of spinning parts, and I'm doing this. And it's like, whoa, you are doing everything, <laughs> and you have to do it Thank all at you. once. It's massive. It's absolutely massive. So keep going, keep going, and it will get easier and better you've got a hard slog ahead of you in terms of understanding what winters will look like and experiencing that getting to understand the land and the children how they experience that you've got a whole lot of exciting learning ahead of you and it's going (laughs) to make you as a school better and better and better each year so go forth and work your guts out and make it the best that you (laughs) can and keep that vision that is so strong in you and that passion hold on to that won't you katie yes definitely (laughs) Well, 
Thank you so much for talking with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear about your journey so far and all of those experiences you've had and the inspiration and the impacts of all the people in your life and where you are today and a lot of your family be very proud of you when y- you get to that moment of oh, it's open and we're here there are children here oh my goodness yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah so hold on to that and yeah thanks again katie yes thank you so much